0: My friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, as in the introduction there, slashing your taxes is a very important part of this podcast and doing what we do. And I have the pleasure of having a guest with me to help talk about that. She has a team of 65 plus specialists that are actually all over the world and the country to help business owners, investors, and entrepreneurs help to increase the business owner's bottom line, reduce costs, significantly reduce taxes, increase cash flow, and do all kinds of things to help out their clients. Our guest is known as the tax goddess. So we're going to have to talk about how she got that title. <laughs> Please help me welcome Shauna Weckerleen. Welcome, Shauna.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Um, I love being here and taxes are my absolute favorite subject. So this will be a fun conversation.
0: Taxes are my favorite subject when I don't have to pay them.
1: Cheers <laughs> <laughs> to that. Yes. Well, that is exactly why people talk to someone like me. We're what is it, this year Where it's 740 million in savings for our clients. So yeah, that's that's the game, that's the ball game.
0: <laughs> awesome, and how, how the heck could you calculate something like that, like?
1: Oh, well, you know, I am a CPA, right? We kind of keep record, records and track of that kind of thing, but yeah, what we do is we look at each person's individual circumstances, and in some cases you're looking at reducing current taxes, in some cases you're looking at tax-free growth and wealth, Um, In some cases, you're looking at skipping out on estate taxes, you know, that kind of thing. So we run entire spreadsheets for each and every single client. So we've got those numbers down to a T.
0: So Shauna, tell me um, before we talk about taxes, I always just like to know about our guests and their history and what, uh, where they've came from and how they got to where they're at. So uh, where are you from? Where'd you grow up?
1: So originally from Canada came down when I was 12, came down to the States. Mm. And uh, really the, the journey came about because my mom is a small business owner. She is a general contractor. And when I went to college at the very beginning, I started off in astrophysics of all things, you know, started off in astrophysics and very long story short was sitting across the table from my mom at breakfast She threw the chair backwards from the table and was so upset by this letter she received. Well, guess who the letter was from? You know, the evil IRS, right, (laughs) the dark side. And uh, so very long story short, switched from astrophysics into taxes and history kind of went from there, you know, became a CPA, a master's in tax, certified tax coach, certified tax strategist, you know, every piece of knowledge I could find about taxation I ate it up, absolutely obsessed with the stuff, and uh, yeah. So it was the the way that I became the tax goddess was all about helping my mother. So isn't that something? Isn't that
0: <laughs> something? So when you got out of your undergrad, uh, did you start working for another CPA firm? Did you just break off right onto your own? You know oh, what? Yeah. What was your career trajectory?
1: No, I call it the Goldilocks path. Let's put it this way. I knew, you know, way back when working for, at the time, the big five accounting firms was the thing. I mean, that's what you wanted to do if you really wanted to know your stuff. So uh, finished undergrad, went to Arthur Anderson, which of course, no longer around. I'm kind of glad I didn't join Anderson. <laughs> but um, Anderson, Pricewaterhouse, in speaking with them, all of them said, listen, if you want to be tax, you have to have a master's in taxation. We just otherwise you're going to be an audit, and I knew that audit was not the ball game for me. You know, tax is all about playing a game of chess, right? Auditing is about recording history, which is the one piece I absolutely hate about being a CPA is recording history. It's so boring from my standpoint. So went got the master's in taxation. Then went to KPMG. So uh, the reason why I call it the Goldilocks is I went with the really, really, really big bear, went to a medium-sized bear, which at the time was American Express Tax and Business. So that mm. was your national level instead of global level with KPMG. Then went to a small private firm, and so learned you know the, the baby bear stuff, the much more personalized, customized for a specific individual type thing, and then went out on my own. So Tax Goddess, my company. Tax Goddess just turned eighteen uh, about sixteen days ago. So
0: congratulations, that's awesome. <laughs> so, so how did the name Tax Goddess come about? You know, did you get clients starting to pray to you or what?
1: Happened? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I have definitely been brought some sacrifices to make those taxes lower. That—that That is true. Uh, I clearly remember a bottle. I'm, I'm from Arizona now, right? So a bottle of tequila on April 15th to make sure that tax bill got the way it needed to be yeah. so legally, of course. But yeah, you know, and, and for those of you that can't see me, physically see me, I have flaming red hair. I've got one hell of a personality for a CPA. So really tax goddess was just kind of born out of not only what we can do for people, but also, you know, most people are terrified about seeing their CPA. They're worried about the numbers. You know, they kind of dig their head in the sand. They don't necessarily feel like they have somebody that they can trust or that provides them real advice. You know, often what we see is people go to their CPA, CPA takes the numbers, throw those numbers on a return and comes back to you and says, this is how much you owe. So yeah, Tax Goddess was kind of given to me as a moniker from a, I was at a giant networking event and a very good friend of mine said that that's the name, that's the name you want to use on everything. And it just (laughs) kind of stuck, you know, so it it works out pretty well.
0: That's so fun. I love it. So, you know, obviously you're, you're not just a a bean counter that's looking at your shoes and has a hard time speaking to people. (laughs) we on this podcast, we obviously have a mission of helping educate people financially, of which mm-hmm. taxes is a very important part of that. We've talked about everything on this podcast for the easy things, like you know your HSAs and four hundred and one k's and cash balance plans. We had someone come and talk recently about essentially owning your own insurance company, you know, as an idea. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think we've talked in the past about hiring your kids if you're a business owner, you know, so there's lots of different things that we've talked about. So knowing we've talked about some basic things, and maybe we'll revisit some of those, Shauna, any um, major things that you think that maybe folks haven't heard of that they should be thinking about. Uh, Let's start first with quite a few of us that might listen to this podcast are working for a hospital. We're W-2s, so we're not business owners. What should we be thinking about?
1: So some of the biggest things is W two. Well, and and let me back up. Let me preface all of this. Whether you're a W two or a business owner, or you're a W two with a side gig, you know, whatever it is, right? One of the most important things that you can do for yourself is to write a cohesive plan. So one of the biggest fallacies that I see, uh, especially with W two, is oh, here's that one magic pill that's going to save me a bunch of money, right? And not that they don't exist. They absolutely exist, right? But is it much better? Do you get much better results when you start to stack those magic pills, those little gold coins? I call them gold coins. I was consider myself a fire-breathing red-headed dragon sitting on top of this pile of gold coins. But it's much, much better when you start to s- stack these types of strategies, right? So if we focus on the W-2, one of the biggest downsides to a W-2, right, is that the tax law is not written for W-2 employees. It's just not, right? There are certainly uh, normally investment type things that you can do as a W-2. So you can get involved in conservation easements, big giant asterisks, please make sure that it is not a syndicated conservation easement. The IRS has that listed on their dirty dozen list. So it can be very, very nasty if you get involved with wrong people. You can get involved in charitable-type contributions. So there's CRATS, there's CLATS, there's the the purchase of artwork specifically for charitable donation purposes. You can get involved in oil and gas-type investments, which generally in the first year give you 92% of your investment as an active deduction against your W-2 income so there's lots of options out there, but I still always maintain one of the absolute best ones is if you're married, go get some real estate, which I'm sure you've covered on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. That real estate professional one is a huge one. Or if you can get some sort of sidekick and seriously, absolutely little tiny sidekick, like $5,000 a year can lead to massive amounts of tax deductions against your W2. So-
0: well, just to revisit some of those, we've talked about the real estate professional a lot this year in a few, oh, few different sure. <laughs> times. Yeah. Um, so I think we've we've talked about that. We had a guest mm-hmm. come on, Mark Livingston, talk about an oil and gas type thing that that he did. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious, you know, to get your take on it. My general feeling has been as I've seen those kinds of investments done. And I love Mark, he's a great guy. He might very well, you know. Um, this investment might may be amazing and turn out well. But my experience has been, which I haven't invested with Mark, for example, but would be that a lot of those investments end up not even returning your principal a lot of the time. That I mean, you might get a tax deduction up front, which is great, but then-
1: You're spending money to get a tax deduction. It's like buying a car.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's, what's yeah. your experience? I mean, do you
1: see that happening?
0: I mean, especially think about the last 15 years until- let's say the last year when oil prices shot up. Yeah, I mean, you right. know, oil prices haven't been doing well for one thing.
1: Well, but- now they're getting flashed $20 a barrel again. You know, that's very exciting. Yeah, I think, well, let's put it this way. One of the good bits about being a CPA, right? Is that my job is to be a fiduciary for the clients, right? I'm not just a tax strategist. You see this a lot where you get tax strategists that get pay a percentage of how much money you save. Right. So they are very incented to give you strategies that are focused on the tax deduction, not focused on the overall fiduciary wealth of the family. If that, does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. I mean, OK, so, you know, when I particularly me and tax goddess as a company, when we recommend strategies, it's strategies that we've used ourselves like personally. So I've invested in the oil and gas well people that I recommend, right? I've got a captive insurance company. I've, I do the master's exemption, you know, these kinds of things. So it's very important to me that I effectively use myself as the guinea pig before I ever, ever recommend anything to anyone for exactly that reason. I want to see what happens, right? Before I start telling anyone, this is a great thing and you should go do it, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, so you're absolutely correct. And I think this is really where the IRS has come up with the most recent, the 2022 uh, dirty dozen list, because if you look at that list, those conservation easements, the syndicated conservation easements and the captive insurance companies, and and I love them, right, the captives, but there's good versions and there's bad versions. And it's the same as any investment. There's good oil and gas and there's bad oil and gas, right? But I think this is the hard part as a W-2 this is an investment, you're 100% correct. If they slash the price of oil, another $20, right? If they they tank it again, right? Instead of your ROI being in three years, it might be in 10 years. So generally as a W2, when you look at these things, they are generally longer term investments. They're not quick, fast, you're gonna get your money out in a year. And I think that's one of the failings that I see with a lot of tax strategy. As I said, you know, you want to write an overarching plan. They're looking at it immediately in the current year versus what is this really going to get me over the life of however long I'm involved with this company. So yeah, does that, does that make sense?
0: Sure. Well, let's dive a little deeper into that. For you personally and knowing you and being numbers oriented and (laughs) and analyzing it, what do you think makes a good oil and gas investment versus a bad one? Like how how would you help to identify one versus the other?
1: For sure. So the first one for me is going to be how long has the field been around, right? Are you doing speculative drilling or are you drilling in a known oil field? Company has been around for 45 years, they've done how many wells have they done? What is their historical performance? Who's the management team? You know, th- these are all of the things that you look at in almost any investment, right? If you're going to get into Google, do you, do you like Google, right? Do you like it as a company, right? So uh, certainly those, those kinds of things. One of the other things that I really do like looking at is your ability to get out, okay? So for example, uh, just had a client do this with solar, Uh, They joined a solar credit partnership. Uh, They were so excited about it. It was going to be this great, you know, of course, great tax deduction in the first year, this kind of thing. But when some other pieces of information came out, she wanted to get out. She found out that she was effectively locked in, locked in, could not get out for the next 15 years. She could completely dump her investment and just walk away. But she was still on the hook for some of the active, you know, if there was a call, if there was a problem, whatever. So one of the other factors that I look for is what is your ability to get out? Is there enough of a liquid market to be able to sell your share to somebody else? Uh, what is your sales price from that standpoint? You know, how much can you stand to lose? So that's really where it comes back to me is to looking at it from an overall portfolio perspective, rather than just straight up, here's the first year tax deduction.
0: So. Awesome. No, all, all good advice and great things for folks to think about. And just to add to- a little bit of color to that from my perspective, when you talk about speculative investments in today's world, that's often like deep water drilling, for example, often is speculative because you have a lot higher chance of a dry hole where you don't actually get oil out of the ground versus you have the Bakken here in North Dakota, where, you know, they're doing all the different ways of extracting oil out you have a proven well that's doing xyz you know you have a much higher chance probably your overall returns are lower from it but you know it's much more of a relatively conservative investment in the space so Understanding those sorts of things and asking good questions is so important in this process.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think really, really the questions, just in general for anything that you're working on, especially when it comes to the investments, but also the team behind the investment, right? How long have they done this? I remember very clearly years ago, uh, actually looking at the captives when the captives, I mean, they've been around for a while, but when all the little micro captives started popping up, Uh, started getting telephone calls from these guys. Oh, yeah, no, it's great. You should absolutely use this. Well, how long have you been doing this? Oh, about three months. Oh, yeah, great. (laughs) No, (laughs) right? So, you know, I really do think uh, looking at the team, looking at the history, looking at all of those pieces, extremely important. And and as a W-2, how do I want to say it? It's just, you get paid the money you get paid. So your ability to grow that money is either you're putting in more hours to make more money or your investments have to be good, right? There's, there's nothing in between. And that's generally why tax status focuses so much more on business owners because they just have so many more opportunities, not only to reduce the taxation, therefore keep the cash, therefore get a much better return on their money than paying the government 63%, you know.
0: And now for a commercial break. Have you been wondering, What I'm so tired of working. What would it take to retire? Maybe you've been thinking about, gosh, I want to have a plan for getting out of medicine, but I'm not sure of the right way to do that. What are the steps that I need to take? Well, that is why I put together this ebook, which is The Roadmap to Retire by 45. It lays out literally step-by-step what you need to do, how to go through it, how to calculate it. Uh, I think this is a fantastic ebook that will probably take you 15, 20 minutes to read through, but really lays it out step-by-step. If you want the ebook, just text Road to Retire. That's R-O-A-D-T-O-R-E-T-I-R-E to 833-343. Again, text road to retire, road to retire to this number. 833-343-2986. It'll be 20 minutes that will really change your life. And now back to the show. Let's talk about business owners. I think that's a great transition. So any, any things you would point out, typical business owners are missing, you know, maybe they're getting the easy stuff, like I said, the 401ks, maybe they have a cash balance plan, yeah. some of those kinds of, of things. What are other yeah. things that, that are typically being missed?
1: So my two of my favorite ones that you didn't mention, but I consider them pretty basic, the master's exemption and an accountable plan. So let me hit on the accountable plan first, because this is one of my favorite examples. So an accountable plan is a specific document that you have to have if you're an S-corp, a partnership, or a C-corp, okay? Um, As a Schedule C, it's not required. We recommend that you have one anyway. But what an accountable plan does is says, all right, you've spent personal money on behalf of the business, but the business hasn't reimbursed you. Right? So this actually happens to quite a few people. They've got a home office, they're using their personal cell phone, they're using their personal car. Now, many of you listening might be, well, yeah, my CPA writes that off. But guess what? If you don't have the actual accountable plan document and the actual calculations, and if you're not reimbursing yourself at least every quarter for those funds, the IRS can take those deductions away. And so It's one of those little tiny tweaks that many CPAs, they know they can deduct that home office or they can deduct those automobile miles. But if they don't have the proper paperwork, right, heaven forbid, the IRS comes to look. So if you are doing one of the more aggressive strategies like a captive, right, uh, and the IRS comes to look, we we had a case about this. Previous CPA never, it's a one-page document, right? Never had the client fill out the accountable plan document Client lost $190,000 a year over five years worth of tax deductions because the CPA never implemented the physical plan, the physical accountable plan. So, yeah, so it's it's one of those things where you know, go ahead, take the deductions, just hope the IRS never comes to look at you. Which is hope is not a strategy, right? So I'm a big fan of having having that document in the background. Now you get the other side of that where CPAs will be very, very conservative. So we work on something called the aggression scale, right? And so it's zero to 10, zero, meaning the IRS never calls you never, ever, but you're leaving money on the table. Okay. And you might still get a random audit. Mm -hmm. 10, meaning we're all going to jail. Okay, (laughs) Yeah. A lot of this and where you make your plans and which strategies you use depend on where you and your team sit. And a lot of business owners don't even think about we just talked about asking questions they don't even think about asking that question so generally your entrepreneurs are going to be five to well i've had some that tell me 20 and we got to yank them back right Mm -hmm. so you know but they're, they're generally much higher on that aggression scale because they're entrepreneurs that's what they do right they take risk in life and that's what you do as an entrepreneur so if you, we, tax goddess is by training and by nature, an eight. Okay. So crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's, but nobody's going to jail, right? We're not doing Al Capone stuff. <laughs> you seem very nice, Dave, but I'm not going to jail for you. Right. It's just, yeah. it's just not happening. So, you know, one of the things that we highly recommend is that you ask again, that question, what is your aggression scale zero to 10 that you ask that of your CPA. OK, because many people don't. They go, they interview the CPA, the person preparing the taxes, and they say, oh, I like this guy. You know, we seem to kind of get along. He, he does a good job. I never get audited. Yeah, but guess what? If he's a level zero and you're a level eight, the tax deductions and the tax strategies that should be on your return aren't anywhere. They're gone, either because the, C- the level zero CPA doesn't know about them or because he will not, he or she will not sign off them. Mm-hmm. right? So something like a captive, and there's really two different versions of captives. Uh, you get the level 7, 8 captive, which is cheaper, easier to implement, but it's a little more aggressive. You get the level 4, or 5 captive, which is more expensive, harder to implement, but less risk, right? So really, if you've got a level 0 CPA, they're not even going to work with a captive, period. doesn't okay. matter, right? Okay. So that, that would be the second one. And then the, the master's exemption, which is my personal favorite. Have you, have you heard the story about the Augusta tournament, the golf tournament, the master's no, exemption? No, go right ahead. Okay. So I don't want to tell your listeners anything you guys have already heard. So the master's exemption, there's the master's golf tournament. It's held in Augusta, Georgia every year, right? Mm-hmm. So basically the houses in that city, in that neighborhood, okay, uh, are generally owned by senators and Congress people right? And my favorite piece about this is that they wrote a law for themselves. And the benefits of being an American citizen is that if there's a law on the books, it applies to everyone, right? right? Senators, Congress, people, and you. So the master's exemption, sometimes it's called the Augusta rule, okay, allows you to rent your home to yourself for up to, well, to anyone for up to 14 days a year. And you do not have to pay any income tax at all on that income. Now, many people have heard about this in the rental world, right? I'm going to Airbnb my home uh, because I live near a sports stadium, and I'm just going to go take a vacation for two weeks, and all of that income is not going to be taxable. But many people don't take that to the next level, which is that rental agreement just has to be with somebody other than yourself. So if you have a business, an LLC, a partnership, an S corp, right? That is legally technically a separate entity from yourself, which means that you can hold business events at your home 14 days a year, and whatever rent you pay, that rent is 100% tax-free. Now, you know, continuing the logic here, many people say, well, yeah, but I mean, do I really want a bunch of people in my house? I don't really know a bunch of people. You know, how big do these events have to be? You know, you, you do need to have a business purpose, but many people, you know, Dave, we were just talking before the show here, right? Many people have staff locally, right? I'm pretty sure you probably have staff meetings. If you held a staff meeting once a month at your house, that would be 12 events a year, right? Maybe a couple of staff parties, you know, a 4th of July and a holiday party, something like that, right? And the best part about this is that your business is allowed to pay you personally the fair market value of rent for the type of event. So many people, when they think about renting out their home, they're thinking about the Airbnb nightly rate, right? They're thinking about the 297 or 397 or sure. whatever it is. Yeah. But if you're holding a business meeting, you'd be going to a business conference center, right? Or you'd be going, if it was a big party, you'd be going to a ballroom, right? Maybe at one of the local hotels. Okay. You're not, you're not going to an Airbnb for 297 a, month, or a night, right? right? So I'll give you a, a very good example here where I live. Uh, I've got a client in Scottsdale. Her house is about 1,900 square feet. Her rental rate per event is $3,500 a night. That's the cost for an office conference you know, room for a day with cleaning and some basic drinks, okay? I've got another client in the northern part of the city. His house is about 4,500 square feet. He's at about 9,900 a night. Uh, and then, of course, I've got another client in the most expensive city, in the, in the most expensive part of the city here. She's also at about 4,500 square feet, but her rental rate is $12,500 wow. per event. So there's a very broad variety there, right? But either way, my, my small client, my $3,500 client, that's $49,000 a year completely tax-free. It's a business deduction for you. And for my larger, the, the higher dollar amount client, that's $175,000 a year, completely tax-free out of the business.
0: Help me think yeah. about understanding this for a second, because yeah. normally I think of like you pay yourself, for example, W-2 wages, right? I mean, of
1: you got to pay if taxes. you have an S-corp, and, you got to do, you know,
0: yeah. you have yeah. pass-through, you know, yeah. you're going to get taxed on the pass-through, you know, if yeah. you have a different entity, that you are paying, because I'm assuming you'd have to have a checkbook for this entity, a separate tax yeah, ID of some sort, an EIN,
1: sort of, an LLC, something, mm-hmm. some
0: some sort of entity. Um, yes. You probably have to hold it out to the public. I'm guessing, maybe, in order to.
1: Well, it's got to have a business. It's got to have a business purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So I suppose it depends. You know, generally, what we're talking about, right, is potentially a doctor that's on 1099 right? Well, you definitely have a business, right? If you're getting paid 1099, you're probably a PC or a PLLC or something like that. So.
0: And so you pay money out of your S corp to this LLC, right? Oh, to, oh, I see. To... No, no,
1: no, no, no. Let's, let's back up. So you have your business. So let's just say your business is an S corp, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Your business is paying you personally the rent because it's your house. You own the house, Right. So, your business is paying you personally the rent. So, if your business has paid you $175,000 in rent, right, under normal circumstances, you would, you would on, on your personal return, you would report that rent and then you have whatever expenses, right? Like there was some cleaning costs and some food and, you know, whatever it was. Right? Right, right. But the master's exemption is a specific rule. So, you have to do this right on the tax return, otherwise the IRS gets cranky about it, right? The, the master's exemption is a specific rule that says, if the rental total amount of rental days is 14 days or less, all of the income that you earn is completely tax-free. Mm-hmm. So your S corp got $175,000 tax deduction, right? So you're not paying tax on the flow through of the S corp. right? And potentially you can lower your salary. So you're not paying self-employment tax on that as well. right? And then when it hits your personal return for 175000 as long as you didn't do more than 14 events, right? Do not do 15 because then all of it's taxable, right? So not more than 14 events, the entire 175,000 is completely tax-free. So you report it, but you report a line right under it that says master's exemption, negative 175, and that's it. The income's gone.
0: Got it, got it. And so I suppose the politicians do this because they might have, fundraisers at their houses or, you know, something like that would be typical of what they, yep. would, they would
1: Any have. kind of business event. So it could be your monthly staff meeting. It could be um, a networking event for your business colleagues. It could be meeting vendors at your home. It could be, I mean, and anything that is business, you are allowed to have parties like social type events, but only for your staff right? If it's your staff plus your clients, that's okay. But your staff has to be there. It's got to be a a business purpose. And the way the IRS looks at it, a holiday party for your staff is basically meant to build trust and relationship and loyalty to your business. So they're fine with that.
0: And I assume any, if you got any food, if you got any, you know, Uh, things that actually did cost you money for this. I mean, you write that all off too, right? You know, you hire hire a caterer or something Mm -hmm. to come, you know.
1: Well, and if you think about, so let's say you decided you were going to go hold your annual party at uh, the Ritz. I don't know, pick a hotel, right? You're going to hold your annual party at this hotel. Well, the hotel is going to charge you food, cleaning, uh, rental fee for the tables and chairs. I mean, so any of that that you have to pay, it's the same thing. You were going to pay it whether you were at the hotel or you were going to pay it if you were at your home. But the only difference is that instead of paying the hotel the rent, you're paying yourself the rent.
0: Interesting. No, I think it's a great, I hadn't heard of it before. So fascinating. Mm-hmm. So thank you for bringing <laughs> that to our attention. Always yes. got to learn something new, right? That's,
1: That's the try. That's the try. Well, and I think this is really where, you know, going back to um, one strategy is great, right? But having a comprehensive plan is better. Because, you know, for example, you mentioned the captives. Well, if you can put 15% of your gross into a captive, right, that's a huge tax deduction for so many people, right? So if you combine that with the master's exemption, with paying the kids, you know, that minimum nineteen five every year that you're going to pay the kids, right? And more if they're in college. I mean, I, I love some of the older kids, right? Because we can get 40, 50, 60, dollars dollars $100,000 paid out to the kids. You know, when you really start to layer strategy on strategy on strategy, uh, the only missing piece there is the glue, right? To make sure that you're taking every step correctly, uh, instead of having disparate strategies that, oh no, you did this one. And that means you couldn't do this one. And now we have a problem kind of thing. So well,
0: let's talk about paying the kids. Cause I think that's always fascinating, you know, as, as a strategy, like yeah. certainly, you know, it's, it's more aggressive, you know, of a strategy, like you said, you know, a scale of one to 10, like how, in your opinion, how much do the, do you, or how can you prove the kids are working for the business, doing things in the business, right? Versus like just totally making it up and oh, getting do a write-off? <laughs> <point.
1: laughs> don't, don't do that. Uh, as I said, I'm an eight, right? Crossing the teeth, in the eyes for sure. Well, so listen, the, the youngest age that you're allowed to pay kids for the IRS is seven. Right, so starting at the age of seven. So I think there's a big difference between paying a seven-year-old versus paying a twelve-year-old versus paying a twenty-year-old. Right, Mm -hmm. they can they can all do different things. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at a seven-year-old, generally there's two routes that my parents will go. They're either going the modeling route. Right, Um, the average rate, and this I just pulled this last month. The average rate in the U.S. for a child model is seventy-five thousand dollars a year. So right, so if they're going to go the modeling route. That's pretty easy to do because there's already statistics. There's already children models, right? So really what you're looking at then is you said the proof. Okay, well, if I'm, if I'm pretending to be an IRS agent, right, what am I looking for for proof of your child modeling? That kid better be all over the website, all over the brochures, all over the flyers, right? Um, maybe they have done uh, some YouTube videos. You know, maybe they're the cute kid in the background going, daddy, daddy, you know, like whatever, Right. So, you know, you want to make sure that they're actually doing something, that you have something to show for the work. Now, for some parents, you know, I've, I've had other parents that have said, I do not under any circumstances want my child's face on anything on the Internet. Right. that it can be very worrisome for some parents. Mm-hmm. So the other way to look at it is, OK, well, what jobs can a seven year old do? They can sweep the floor. They can shred. um, Maybe they can help you file. Um, They can, you know, I don't take the dog for a walk. You know, it depends on whether your dog's considered security or not. (laughs) You've got to look at that, you know. So, you know, what kinds of jobs can the child do? Now, the other part that I found absolutely fascinating is that the IRS allows you to pay your child the same rate that you would pay an adult professional for that job. So take, for example, the dog walker right? If your dog is considered security for the company, then it is now a business expense, right? So if you hired a dog walker, dog walkers, at least in my neighborhood, are $30 for 15 minutes. Oh my gosh. Right. So if your child is taking the dog on a walk twice a day, well, for 30 minutes a day, right? Which side note, probably good for the dog, good for the kid, good for everybody, right? You're talking $60 a day. So you may not reach the maximum amount, you know, that you can pay the child tax-free that nineteen five, but you're going to get a good chunk of money, and of course many parents are thrilled by the fact that they're now training their children, responsibility and skills, and you know this is how you earn money and you know like all of these things, right? These kind of um, uh, intangible benefits of a child having a job. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah, and so if you look at somebody like a twelve-year-old, twelve-year-olds are much better at all of that uh, social media stuff than we are. You know, they they know TikTok and YouTube and Facebook and all these kinds of things. Uh, a professional media, social media person typically costs, at least in my area, about one hundred and twenty dollars an hour. So have your kid post on Facebook half an hour every day, sixty mm-hmm. bucks a day, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you know, there's so many different ways that you can do this. So.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I had my daughter help out for a little bit and then she didn't want to do it. So she's working at Starbucks now a job you know? on the side. And so, you know, it's like, I would love to be able to justify the expense, but you know, yeah. she's, yeah. she she refuses. So what are you going to do?
1: What do you do? Well, I mean, there's other ways to um, incent children, right? <laughs> you know, oh, you want that car, sweetie? Okay, you know. But yeah, I mean, this it, it brings in an entirely separate way to be looking at this, which I, I agree with you. Some kids just just they're just going to refuse, and that's the deal. And so, how else, as a parent, can you set up your children for success? Start with the basics, right? A good infinite banking. IUL life policy that you can just fund with a hundred dollars a month or a thousand dollars a month, you know, depending on how much you can do. There's so many ways to set up kids for success. And I I think it's one of the areas that a lot of parents really care about. You know, they they want their children to be successful. They want to teach them the basic lessons while they're young. And and it's hard to do when the kids refuse. So,
0: (laughs) right. Totally. Yeah. Uh, well, I think this has been great, Shauna. I mean, there's so many different things we could talk about and you've been a wealth of information. sharing Aww. all kinds of awesome tips. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, if people want to find you, they want to check you out, maybe talk strategy over with you. Where's the best place they can do that?
1: Easiest place to find us is taxgoddess.com. You can find me and my team there and we'd love to chat. This is This is our passion. We'd love to add your millions to our 740 million. So...
0: I love it. There you go. There you go. So give Shauna a call. Check her out. I'm sure we'll have some, sh- some sh- links in the show notes for everyone to do. Shauna, any closing thoughts you'd like to leave with
1: us? Oh, well, I always go back to Yoda. Do or do not. There is no try. You know, at this point, we have how many days left? Three, three months left to do anything for 2022. So uh, if, if you're looking, if you're upset about how much you're paying, you better get on it. Do or do not. There's there's no, when December 31st hits, you're cooked, so.
0: I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Shauna. Great suggestions. And my friends, certainly look her up if you have any questions. In the meantime, as always, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that... I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant, and you're looking for a second opinion. for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name, or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered for the student registration. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract and that my friends wraps it up wish you all the best feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com thank you so much and have a good one bye bye